take our Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter. We'll start at reading in verse number 9. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verse number 9. The Bible says this, <clears throat> Moses speaking, of course, to the children of Israel in what's called the second law, which is what Deuteronomy means. The second time just before they go into the promised land, just before Moses dies, when he is repeating the law of God to the children of Israel. Verse 9 says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, Thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. So to do. I'm sorry. Verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet, from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these words that have been preserved for us these many, many years through the time of Moses down to us. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the truth. Um, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us clear understanding. Thank you, Lord, for communicating with us, not leaving us to ourselves, but, Lord, intervening and interjecting yourself into our lives, showing us the truth, making us see where we stood with you, where uh, you are, who you are, how you are. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, as we look at your word this, uh, this morning, we pray for your blessing. Lord, we pray that you'd meet with us and teach us, guide us as we study the word of God and stir us up. Help us, Lord, to take these matters with great care and concern and seriousness and sobriety like you've told us to. Lord, I pray that you would help your people. I pray that you'd give me the grace to say what they need to hear, what I need to hear, and that you would truly meet with us and stir us up by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, down through verse number 14, what you have are practices of what we would call, kind of lumped together, we would call them witchcraft, right? And of course, the Lord strictly forbid witchcraft in the Old Testament, here in Deuteronomy and other places as well. But if you look at all of these things, you might not know what all of these things have, you know, what they all specifically refer to, but you have, in this case, you have, of course, one sending their son or daughter through the fire, which is a sacrifice, a human sacrifice. Um, and then you have, um, you have those mentioned who use divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch. These things deal with spells. They deal with uh, potions. They deal with uh, telling the future, for, uh, fortune telling. And fortune telling comes in a lot of forms and fashions, tarot cards, uh, other, other things, astrology, all those kinds of things deal with fortune telling. In other words, it's an attempt to understand what, is, what lies in store in future events. You have a charmer, you have a consulter with familiar spirits, and that's, that's basically someone who tries to communicate with, with devils or with what they, of course, they don't usually call it that. Usually it's in the form of some other ancestor or something like that. And look, you don't have to go far. You can look on the Learning Channel and this stuff's blasted all over the place. Um, a wizard or a necromancer. Those necromancers, someone who tries to communicate with the dead. Here's the thing, what, what's in common with all these things is all these things the, the Lord is describing here are different ways that people would, throughout the years, have tried to find you might say, in our terminology, they like to try to find the will of God. Now, of course, we know they're not talking to God in this case, but sometimes these practices do are attached to God's name. It, that's, that's true. Things like exorcisms and stuff like that uh, that, are, you know, that are common in religion sometimes are, are practiced in God's name, you know, with the, the seal of approval, as it were, of whatever, you know, some, some form of Christianity. But the reality is all these things are attempts to find information that God has not made available to us, that God has told us He does not want us to seek after them. He does not want us to know them. Uh, things that deal with, like, what is the right course of action? In Cambodia, a lot of times they go to fortune tellers who use cards and things like that so that if they have a big day, like a wedding or a big a ceremony they want to have, They'll go to the monks, or they'll go to the the the, the kruacha, which is like a like a preacher sort of, or a witch doctor, or a fortune teller of some kind, to see what day would be most fortuitous for that event to take place. They're trying to predict the future. Sometimes people do it because they are seeking after matters of the in the spiritual world, or sometimes they're trying to figure out things about the world that that is after death. And sometimes people use it to try to, to help affect the outcome of events. There's a, again, in Cambodia, there's a, a practice in which uh, if, a, if a boy likes a girl, or more often if a girl likes a boy and he's not interested, she'll go to a, she'll go to a fortune teller to try to cast a spell on that, that, uh, on that boy to get him to love her. And... But these things, listen, this is not uncommon. It happens here too. People do, they practice this. And of course here it's sanitized and it's, you know, presented as innocent and, you know, Ouija boards and stuff like that. But, but here's the thing. These things are commonly practiced in our world 
especially outside of our country. It is very common. It doesn't matter if you're in a Hindu culture, if you're a Buddhist culture, or a Muslim culture, or a Christian culture. These things are practiced. But they're all strictly forbidden by God. And I think probably they're practiced more often than maybe we realize. But here's the thing. Here's why it's important. In all of these things... The, the person doing it is trying, to, is trying to get information that God doesn't want to tell us. He's trying to get information about someone who has died, trying to get information about the future, right? Or trying to get information or affect the heart or decision-making of other people, not with, that, not with debate or, or with convincing them, but by, by force of some spiritual power. They're trying to find out information about the spiritual world. These are all things that God has put off limits. Actually, I say off limits. It's not completely off limits. You see, God himself is the one who determines what he wants us to know and not know. Why? Because he created us. And he has said that some subjects, he's not going to tell us. And some subjects, some subjects he's going to tell us, but he wants us to seek him and get the information, that information from him. You know what? We can, to some degree, we can know what happens in the future. How? Well, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's, in a way, a prediction of the future, is it not? So the Lord tells us that. He gives us principles about raising our children and how they might turn out, how they will turn out in Proverbs if they're raised according to Scripture. And then he, has, uh, he, he tells us things that are going to happen in the future as it relates to, uh, to uh, eschatology and the, the doctrine of last things, his coming and such. He tells us certain things about that. He also tells us things that happen after we die, right? He tells us what angels are and what devils are and, and where people go when they die and how long they're there and what that place and condition is like. He even tells us what those that have died without Christ, what they are thinking. Luke chapter 16, does he not? He tells us what they're thinking, what they're saying. So the Lord does give, give us this information. Here's the thing. But God has chosen and determined to reveal those things himself. Not for us to go around him. And that's what this is about. People seeking these things outside of God. Because when that happens, of course, then you open yourself up to power that you don't really understand, that can control you. Demonic power. Because that's the one who really tinkers in those things, the devil. But in this context is where we get to verse 15. I had to say that to get to verse 15. Because in verse 15, the Lord says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. A prophet. Now, what is a prophet? Because you notice in verse 15, the word Prophet is capitalized. So this is not just any prophet. This is a specific prophet. This is a proper noun. This is a title of someone. of One particular person. Not the regular prophets, but this is one particular prophet. But what is a prophet? By definition, you can see it in this. And if you hold your place here real quick and go back to Exodus chapter 7, you can see it plainly. If you would look at that real quick. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1. To... Moses, the Lord's speaking about his going into Pharaoh and how Aaron is going to go with him. In Exodus chapter, one verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. Now don't, don't read too much into that. 
he's using a comparison, obviously. And Aaron, thy brother, shall be thy prophet. You see that? So in this case, the Lord is using a comparison to help Moses understand the way he wants this to work. So to, 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 uh, to Pharaoh, Moses is going to be like God. And he's not going to speak directly. God's going to give Aaron to Moses, and Moses is going to hear from God, and he's going to speak as God to Aaron, and Aaron is going to in turn speak for him. Look at verse 2. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And then go back to our text here in Deuteronomy. You can see it also in verse number 19, because it says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name. You notice that? It's the same thing. In other words, God has a message. That's what we see in, in verse number 15. The fact that a prophet is mentioned tells us that God has a message. He has something he wants us to know because he sent a prophet who is a mouthpiece. I know we think of as a prophet and the way it's used most of the time. Oh, you you know, if you predict something that was going to happen, oh, you must be a prophet, they say. But what we're talking about in Scripture, scripturally speaking, a prophet is not someone who necessarily tells the future. Often prophets talk about the past, not just the future. Often prophets talk about the present. But what prophets always do is they relay God's message. They're God's mouthpiece. That's what, a, by definition, a prophet is. And this prophet is no different. Moses was a prophet. David was a prophet. There are many prophets, Elijah, Elisha, and there are many others who spoke the message to, to, to God's people or to those who weren't God's people, whatever message God gave them to, to speak. And the fact, as I said, the fact of the existence of the prophet means and and indicates that God has something he wants us to know. He has a message for us. He is communicating with us. That's the key. You know, this Bible was written by prophets. Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Samuel wrote a great deal of the Old Testament. Then you have the various major minor prophets. Then you get to the New Testament all of whom spoke in the place of God. They spoke God's message. It's written by prophets. In other words, the Bible that we read is a result of God's prophets. God God gave them a message, and He is communicating with us through His prophets. The question is, are we listening? Now, I I I want everybody to understand what I'm trying to say here. God has a message for us. And you'll see what I mean in just a minute, very clearly. In 2023, God has a message for us. He has something He wants to say to us. He has something He wants us to know. I should say He has something He has said to us and something He wants us to know. Look, we come to church and we read the Bible, right? And we study the Bible together and we look at what it says inside and out. We've been studying Acts and this is, of course, part of that study. But this is not just a tradition that we're passing down from one generation to another. That's not what this is about. This is not just a tradition we're passing down. I don't come to church because my ancestors came to church, although they did go to church. That's that's not why I'm here. And I hope that's not why you're here. 
Because God has a message that He is, is communi- has communicated and a message He wants us to know in this year, 2023, on this day, July 30th. He has a message for us now, a message for you and a message for me. And He has something He wants to communicate to us. We do well to listen. This is not a tradition passed down. This is, a, this is our hearing God's message now. You know, God has a message for you. He has something He wants you to know. But the question is, how is God talking to people? Now, of course, in these days, everybody's got a word from God. Everybody feels something in their heart. Everybody thinks that they hear God's voice. People, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you because you see it as well as I do. People drown their children in the bathtub and say, say God told them to do it. And there's also people that, you know, sell all their land and say God told them to do it. And there's people that say they give an offering and say God told them to do it. Listen, everybody, in, in no, matter, no matter good and bad, all over the spectrum, people say God told them things. But is God talking privately in the hearts of people? Actually, Hebrews chapter 1, which we will look at, look at in a minute, says that he has spoken to us. But Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, what does it say? He has spoken to us through his son. That's this prophet. That's this prophet. Notice what it says about the prophet in verse number 15. It's also kind of repeated in verse 18. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This great prophet, capital P prophet, is Jesus. Many thousands of years before Jesus was born. Notice what it says. He'll raise up a prophet unto, unto, thee, uh, unto thee, a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren. Notice that. So where would this prophet come from? This, if you look at the immediate context, this prophet will rise out of Israel. He would be a Jew. He would be a Hebrew. This prophet is said to come from Israel. And of course, we know that Jesus was a Jew. He was born of the seed of Abraham. He was directly in the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, down through the tribe of Judah, all the way through David and Solomon, and he all the way down to Joseph and Mary, which primarily Mary, obviously, but also, but also in the line of Joseph by marriage. So the Lord was a full-blooded Jew. He came in that world. He was born in that world. But as such, he was not an outsider. He was an insider. An insider. You know, when you have someone, and I know, I know having lived in a foreign country, Brother Stewart, those of you who have visited or lived in foreign countries where you have been immersed in a, in a, in a culture, especially when you start to know what's going on, you know, it's, it's really hard to live on, as an outsider in a culture. It's really hard. It's not easy. Because people assume that you don't know what's going on. I don't know how many times I've been out with, with, uh, with Monaret. That's the name of the fellow that went out with me a lot and evangelized. I don't know how many times I went out and I would be talking to somebody and I spoke Cambodian and I would talk to people and I would often be doing the talking and I would go up to someone and I would talk to them about the Lord or talking about whatever and then, and then they, would, they wouldn't look at me anymore. They would look at him. He was a Cambodian, obviously. They would look at him and start talking to him about what I said. And I'm like, I was just talking to you. I was excluded from the conversation and I was the one having the conversation. You see, I was an outsider. 
But you know what? Jesus wasn't an outsider. Now, we know in a way he was. We'll see that in a minute. But he came from within Israel. He was one of them. And you know what? Because of that, nobody in his time, in his day, could say, could pull the wool over his eyes and him not, he, he not know what's going on. He really knew what was going on. He knew about the religion. He knew how the Pharisees were fakes and the scribes were fakes and hypocrites. He knew about people's motives and why people did what they did. He knew all about that. And you know what? That's one of the reasons people hated him, especially those who were involved in sin, is because there was no tricking him like you could an outsider. That's what we do. We put on a happy face. We, we look nice. We're polite. Southerners, I saw a map yesterday. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a map of the United States divided into four four. Uh, quadrants, and you know, in the northeast it says they uh, they look mean but are really nice, and down in the southeast it said what they look nice but they're really mean. <laughs> That's a fact. Hey, you ain't allowed to say that. You're you from Yankee Land, <laughs> and of course in Washington I think it said that in the northwest it said look nice and are nice, and then and then in the California southwest it said. Look mean and are mean. <laughs> but it's true. We, we Southerners put on a happy face. We act polite and all that, and we're really not. But an insider knows that. An outsider wouldn't. An outsider, oh, they're so nice. That's what people go to Cambodia and they visit, and they're like, oh, these people are so nice and giving. Yeah. That's what you'd be like, mm-hmm, yeah. So the Lord was not an outsider. Notice he comes from the brethren, from Israel. But there was a, uh, you know, when you think about that, the Lord was born and was born in, in Bethlehem. But of course, he grew up in Galilee and Nazareth. And there were times that he tried to go back to his hometown. How was he re- received? He was rejected. You know why? Because he's, he was fam- they were familiar with him. Why should I listen to him? He's no better than I. I mean, I've known him his whole life. He ain't no better than me. That's what we say. We get familiar with something. Sometimes we, we, we have contempt. Familiarity, they say, breeds contempt. But sometimes that's what we experience as well in our own family when someone gets saved and they try to witness to people that have known them their whole li- all, the, all of their lives. Sometimes there's contempt. It's hard. It's hard. Because they know all about you. They know all the things you've done in the past. And you might be completely different. You might The Lord might have changed your life totally. But people tend to show contempt upon something that's familiar, but the Lord came and was familiar. He was part of that. And that's one reason why people rejected him, especially those in his hometown. You know, it's funny. Even preachers sometimes talk, I'm not saying our church is like this. I honestly don't know. I've I've never observed it. But a lot of preachers will go, pastors will invite a guest preacher in and he'll preach and everybody's like, man, this is the greatest preacher ever. And the pastor's like, well... You know, he's all discouraged because, you know, they don't think he's the greatest preacher ever. But it's, it's just the fact that he's always there and the guest preacher is only there a few times. I'm not trying to prepare you for Brother Roberts. I hope you enjoy his preaching. I sincerely do. But, but it's familiarity. Something new is, oh, this is the greatest. And that's what happened with Jesus. He went outside of, of Galilee, especially outside of his hometown. And man, people were like, oh, this is the greatest. But the closest to him, mm, nah, not so much. But there's another way in which the Lord came up from among the people, and that is 
The Lord came from mankind. When the, when the Bible says he came down from heaven, he didn't descend from heaven like he ascended. We've studied in Acts. He ascended visibly, physically, like flew up, right? But when he came down from heaven, he said, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He came down, but how did he come? He, come, he came how? By what means? He, by a birth. He came down from heaven into the womb of a virgin, Mary, and was born. That's how he came into the world. But you know what? That means he's a person. He's a human being. He has limitations. This is the humanity of Christ. He was subject to the temptations and limitations of all mankind. He got hungry. He got tired. He got thirsty. Now, verse number 16, we'll see more about that in a second. But verse 16 says, According, now he says, the Lord says, I'm going to raise a prophet. I'm going to raise a prophet unto you. And here's the reason. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. The Lord says, this is why I'm going to send you a prophet. He's going to speak for me. Of course, this prophet is Jesus. That's been established. You know why? Because in, in Exodus chapter 20, you read the Ten Commandments, and then right after the last of the commandments, the Bible says that the people removed from the mountain. They said, forget this, we're out of here. And they removed far away from Mount Sinai because when the Lord spoke the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, He spoke audibly from heaven. They heard his words, his voice. And that, that terrified them. They didn't want to talk to God directly. But that was okay with the Lord. In fact, in verse 17, it says, And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken. <laughs> that was theirs. In other words, that's okay. That was all in my plan to begin with because I had a plan to send a prophet anyway. You don't want to hear me speak directly? The Lord, the Lord scared the pants off of them. The Lord scared the pants off of them by speaking directly in their ear the, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue as they're called. And so they backed away and they say, no, we don't want to hear that. We send, send a prophet. Let Moses talk for us. And the Lord said, okay, I will send a prophet. And of course, Moses is similar to this prophet. But you notice that they didn't want to hear the voice of the Lord. You know, there's a connection between Jesus and the voice of the Lord. What does a voice do? It communicates, Right? When the Lord spoke from Mount Sinai, He was communicating. He was using words to people's ears to communicate His will. When Jesus came into this world, John chapter 1 says that He was, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word. Why is Jesus called the Word? A Word is a medium of communication. So Jesus was, in essence, the voice of God. You can see it here. The Lord says, I won't speak to you with my voice anymore, but I'm going to send my prophet, and he's going to speak with my voice. He is the living embodiment of my voice. So when Jesus speaks, we're hearing God's voice just exactly the same as the children of Israel heard it on Mount Sinai. But notice it says in verse number 17... I'm sorry, verse 18. I will raise them up a prophet 
from the, among their brethren like unto thee. It says that in verse number 16, or verse number 15 as well, 15 and 18. Like unto thee. In other words, like Moses. This special prophet, who is Jesus, would be like Moses. Think of the ways that, 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 uh, that Jesus was like Moses. Number one, in his meekness. Of course, the Bible says, just, just listen for now, because I, want, I have a point I'm getting to. Now this man, Moses, was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Then in Zechariah 9.9 of Jesus, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus was prophesied as being meek. He was meek like Moses. In Hebrews, the Bible says that Jesus was faithful to all of his house like Moses was faithful to all of his house. I won't spend time here, but in Acts chapter 7, we read how that Moses, whenever he went out, he was, a, he was an adult. He was, the son of, uh, he was counted the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he went out and saw the Egyptian mistreating one of the Hebrews. Remember this? What did he do? Who remembers? Come on now, speak up. He killed him. He killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And then the next day, somebody said, uh, he, two, of the, two of the Hebrews were fighting. And he said, what are you doing? You're brethren. He says, get away from me. I'm paraphrasing. Wilt thou kill me as thou killed the Egyptian? They rejected Moses. And, and in, that, in that context, that person that said, wilt thou kill me like thou killed the, killest the Egyptian yesterday? He said, who made thee a judge and a ruler over us? That's in essence what they said to Christ, right? They rejected him, but ultimately he ruled. That's also like Jesus. So you have these things, but one of the biggest ways that the Lord Jesus was like Moses is that as Moses revealed God's will and character, remember, Moses was a prophet. God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to the people. God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to the people. God revealed His will and character to Moses, and Moses revealed that to the people. So the Lord Jesus revealed the Lord to, to us as well. But, but Moses showed God's will and God's character to the people through the law. It's called the law of Moses. And the law, God gave the law of Moses on Mount Sinai, and that, that event was so big in biblical history. That, this ought to interest you, because that was, that was the beginning of an, what we call an epoch. That is a major period of time. And even as you leave, the, you leave Mount Sinai and you go through the wanderings and you go through going into Canaan land and then the kingdoms and then you go into the, uh, the, the ministry of the prophets later, even Elijah and Elisha, all the prophets, all the way up through John the Baptist, do you know what they say? They say, God gave you a commandment on Mount Sinai and you haven't kept it. In other words, that, that law that God had established on Mount Sinai was still in effect. And the prophets were only, only intended to turn the people back to that law because that was a major epic. That was a, a major point in history. But with Christ, there's a new epic. Because Moses heard God's word and gave it to the people. So Christ came and heard God's word and revealed God's will and God's character. 
Now, you think of, you think of Mount Sinai, you think of all the laws and the rules and the regulations and all those things that deal with so many aspects of life. But what you do see, even on Mount Sinai itself, you see fire and you see thunder and you see the sound of trumpets and you see you see all these terrible things. Think of a volcano. It's like a volcano erupting at Mount Sinai. It's what it, that's what the idea. And it, their people are terrified and they're afraid. But what you see in through all of that is holiness. How that God is absolutely detests sin. So many things in the Old Testament have have the death penalty attached to them. You see severity. You see judgment. That's what you see. That was all by by design. But then in John 1.17, Christ, the Bible says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, was Moses speaking God's message as the prophet? Yes. Was that message severity? You know what I get so sick of? I get so sick of preachers who are averse to 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 honestly, from the heart, following the Word of God and limiting what their, what their uh, how do I say it, what their conduct should be, where they should go, what they should do, what they should say, what they should watch. They say, oh, it's just legalism and rules and all that stuff. Well, hold on. And when you hear people describe the Old Testament, all oh, those laws and stuff, God gave those laws, right? Those were the will of God. The, and all those laws, although we're, we're Gentiles, they weren't spoken to us, they were spoken to the Jews. They are reflective of God's standard of holiness, are they not? We can't talk down of the law of God. That's God's word. As if it's, if it's something to despise. No. To the contrary. The Old Testament scripture is for us too. That was the Bible of the early church. Think Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 3 that we've been studying. That was their Bible. So we should never talk down about the, the, the law of God. No, the law had a purpose. But when Christ came, just as the law revealed judgment and holiness, Christ came to reveal the same God, but just a different aspect of the same God. He came to reveal a God, the same God, who was full of grace, full of kindness, who had such high standards of holiness, but not distant. He had high standards of holiness, but his heart was just inclined towards sinners. Hey, why do you say that? Because the one who is the very voice of God embodied, Christ himself, died for sinners. That's how we know that his heart was inclined for sinners. He's not just a God of judgment, though he is. He is not just a God of, that is a consuming fire, though he is. He's the same God on Mount Sinai that was born as a virgin who died for sinners. The same God who, who had such strict commands in His holiness is the same God who gave His only begotten Son because He loved us. Jesus, as I said, that's what the law of Moses revealed. God revealed through Moses. And this new prophet revealed a different aspect of God. But also we need to be careful that we don't always... Remember, if, if Christ is the new uh, the new kind of epic, the new voice of God, superseding Moses, right? Then we need to be careful when we always refer to the Old Testament to prove everything we believe. Because there are obviously the Old Testament is the word of God, but you remember, 
Christ, his voice superseded that of Moses. Now, look at Hebrews, if you would, chapter 1. I want to show you how this overlaps a little bit. Verse 1, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. The Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophet. So that's why we shouldn't, we shouldn't denigrate the Old Testament. God did speak. But now, verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So that means anything Jesus says overrules every other thing that came previous. And of course, we know the Lord does not contradict. The Lord Jesus fulfilled the law, didn't contradict or destroy the law. But what His Word, what His Word did is it superseded all of that. He hath spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things. So God has spoken to us by Jesus. We ought to give, we ought to give serious attention to this. who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, if you would look at chapter 2. I'm sorry, look at verse 6. And again, verse, chapter 1, verse 6. And again, when He bringeth in the first begotten into the world, He saith, let all the angels of God worship Him. That's His birth. That's what we just got done reading. How he came into this world. He was, came from among the people. He was born into the family of Joseph. Chapter 2, verse 1. And this is really where the rubber meets the road. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest any, at any time we should let them slip. Now notice it says, we ought to give more earnest heed. That's a comparison. If you were going to pay attention before, you really ought to pay attention now. What is he talking about? Verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels, this is the prior, was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. That's talking about the Old Testament. In other words, if all the things that happened, if it was so strict and severe for those that, that violated and transgressed God's law, if, if you paid attention because of that, you ought to pay even more attention now. You ought to be, take more earnest heed now. Verse 3, how shall we escape? It says, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Then he talks about the signs and wonders that we've been studying. Here's the thing. People, talk, people describe the Old Testament, they say, well, well, back in the Old Testament, God was so strict and severe, but now we have liberty to do whatever we want now. Whoa, 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 whoa. We do have liberty. We're not under the law. That's true. But this says the opposite. This says if you paid earnest attention to all of the laws, you ought to pay even more attention now that God has spoken by His Son. Because it's even stricter if you neglect so great salvation. 
you see. If God was going to hold them accountable, he's certainly going to hold us accountable. Because the Lord Jesus is greater than Moses. His words supersede that of Moses. This prophet, his, his prophecy overshadows all of that that came before Now go back to Acts chapter 3, and we'll finish. Connecting it back to our study, there's a reason why I wanted to study Deuteronomy, because it relates to what we've been studying in Acts. Verse 19, Acts three nineteen. This should be familiar to you at this point. Peter says to the Jews there in his, in his sermon, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. The reason why I wanted to look at Deuteronomy is because Peter's quoting Deuteronomy. And he's saying essentially the same thing. He's saying you need to repent. You need to believe in Christ. Because if, if all that under the law the Lord uh, recompensed and repaid every transgression and was strict and severe, how much more? This is the prophet that even Moses promised who would supersede everything else. He's giving them a warning. Jesus is the prophet. And in the Old Testament, in what we read in Deuteronomy, in verse 19, it says, and whosoever shall not, shall not hear that prophet it shall be required of him. The resulting judgment for those that reject the voice of the Son of God. Peter's point in this passage is to demonstrate their accountability to Jesus as he is this prophet of which Moses foretold. They were responsible to hear him or bear the judgment resulting from not. And the Lord said, if someone rejects this prophet, Jesus Christ, who is the voice of God. Listen to me. He is the voice of God. His message is God's message. God's not talking to you in your ear. This is his message. Jesus is his message. What Jesus said is God's message. Jesus said his words, the Father's words were in his mouth. They were one. And if we neglect to hear him, just as Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, we would bear the judgment. And it says in this, they would be destroyed from among the people, cut off from the people of God if someone did not hear the Lord Jesus. You think of the verse that says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Why? Because they didn't hear Jesus. They rejected the prophet that God sent to speak in his name. Let's pray together.